This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, salt to salt, on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pasha's Pinchas, a very warm welcome to our entire radio family. Thank you for making the time on a busy Erev Shabbos to hearken to some words of Chizak, some words of, of Torah, some intriguing things that we might discuss a little bit a little bit later, but it's always such a pleasure to have all of you on on board. I know some of you might be on holiday, well, although it's pretty difficult to be on holiday these days, where restrictions and and the lockdown that that we are we are under. But Bez Hashem, really, just look after yourselves, stay warm, stay safe, and 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 really try to stay out of out of uh, out of trouble. One of the very famous statements that comes out from this week's Pasha is uh and actually comes from from a uh a a Gemara in in Saita where um the the Yana Hamelech told his wife just before he died says you don't you when you take over you don't have to be afraid of the of the Prussian. those are the the very the very frumas they're, they're consistent you'll you'll deal with them nor do you have to be af- uh, afraid of those who are not uh, uh, involved in Yiddishkeit at all. They are also a, a, a kind of a homogeneous group that you can deal with. But what you, the ones you really have to be scared of are the ones that try to pretend that they are Purushim, that they're from people, but they really aren't. And, and they coined that phrase, Shema Sam Kemaise Zimri, they do things like Zimri. Zimri was this Nasi of Kaiso who did a truly, truly abhorrent act of, of cavorting with a, with a non-Jewish princess. And they want rewards like, like, like Pinchas. So that, that, that was what this, uh, Hashmanoi king, Alexander told, uh, uh, uh his, his wife, Shlemis, before his, before his death. And that's kind of caught on as a phrase that we use of someone who is doing something reprehensible but really wants to get uh, rewarded for it. The One of the most beautiful utilizations of this phrase came about in the following story. In, in the city of Frankfurt am Main, Germany. So the Rav was Rapinchas Halevi Horowitz who wrote the Sefer called the Hafla, who had a Amazing reputation because of his Torah and his tremendous Chochmah. At that time, the, the guild of the community hired in the main shul for, in the city, <coughs> a new chazan who really had a, an amazing, amazing voice. However, he wasn't, uh, uh such a big, uh, Yare Shemayim in the way, in his own personal his own personal conduct. However, because of his great voice, most of the community loved to come and and listen to him, and therefore he actually was very very uh, popular in the in the uh, in the community. Because of his great popularity, he approached the leaders of the community, the committee, with the following request: that when his new contract comes due. He wants to be paid exactly the same salary as as the Rav. A, a few days later, the uh, the committee got together to discuss this pretty outlandish request that he should get exactly the same uh, salary as their as their dear Rav of Pinchas Horovitz. Sa- sounded a little bit a little bit uh, crazy. And in fact, uh, 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 it was said at that meeting regarding this particular chazan, Zimri. Zimri can also be zamar, a, a, a singer. He does the actions of a of a singer. He's, he's a good singer. Has a good voice. But He wants the same salary as Rapinchas Horovitz, the the, the rav. And, uh, obviously they did not grant his, uh, his, uh, 
is his request um, to give him equal footing with the with the with the rav. Anyway, we'll be back with much much more of of Divrei uh, Torah and Chizuk for the period for three weeks for this week's Pasha. But don't run away. We'll be back in a moment. This one one point nine High FM, and the program is called Soul to Soul. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, Salt to Salt, back on your radio here, Erev Shabbos Kodesh. Pasha's Pinchas, so glad to have you abroad on this not such cold Erev Shabbos this week as we get ready for another beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. So towards the end of the Pasha, we read about the succession of the leadership of Kali so Moshe says, Yifkoir Hashem, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu appoint Elokeo Ruchos Lechobosa, Hashem was the God of the spirits of all flesh, Inshallah Eda, let him appoint a leader over the, the, the nation. Now, Chazal tell us that even though Moshe Rabbeinu was very aware that his sons were not worthy successors to his mantle of leadership, he nevertheless asked for them to succeed him. The the Merish Tanchuma, in fact, relates <coughs> that HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered, No, Yeshua, your main Talmud, who never left your sides, would be the one, in fact, that would succeed him. Why did Moshe ask? If he knew the answer. And he says, the Moshe wanted to, to point out that sons don't inherit a Torah position based on their pedigree. One must be worthy to be a leader. Torah leadership is not transmitted as Yerusha by, by inheritance, but by substance and, and distinction. Furthermore, the, to be a true Torah leader, one has to focus on, it says, right? all flesh, all people, not just a select few who are sort of fortunate to be kind of accepted into the leader's inner, inner circle. The leader's focus on them should be HaKadosh Baruch is the God of all spirits, which Chazal explained, means it, it infuses everyone with Ruchnius. A leader's job is to do everything he can to infuse Ruchnius into everyone who falls under his, his gamut. Right? A leader's mission is to elevate his entire flock spiritually. Right? To schmooze and be friendly with them might be the manner through which he breaks down the kind of wall that separates him from them. But ultimately, once he gets access to them and earns their trust, it should be kind of all business, raising their spiritual, their spiritual uh, uh, ambitions. One of the great leaders who we know whose heart kind of beat with with Avas Yisrael was the, the great Gerarebbe. It's called the Pnei, the Pnei Menachem. He was such a leader. His heart literally flowed with love and compassion for every single Jew. Chassid or, or, or not. Right? He comforted the brokenhearted even before they had the, the state of mind to actually be able to articulate their, 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 their emotions. That he kind of read between the lines of their, of their letters and he heard what they didn't even have the strength to be able to, to, to express. Sometimes his thoughtfulness was expressed with a small act or a well-placed words. Once happened that a, a family came to him asking, for a bracha for another family member who had to go quite a, undergo quite a difficult and, and complex uh, surgery. The Rebbe gave him a bracha and immediately got up off his chair, went to the cupboard 
and were turned with an expensive bottle of wine. He says, this you should open at a Sudha at the meal you're going to make of Thanksgiving when he fully, when he fully recovers. Then you'll have this, this bottle. And, and, and the, the family, uh, walked out filled with hope that things Bez Hashem would work, would work out. There's a, there was a Yid in, in Yushalayim who had a problem. He had a, a special needs son and unfortunately wasn't, so to speak, well connected, didn't have what they called protexia to get his son into a, a yeshiva. And he went from one yeshiva to another. Each one gave him a runaround simply because, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't connected. Unfortunately, that's not a situation that's so rare nowadays also. And, and it appeared that no one, no one cared or no one was willing to give up their precious time to listen and to help a, a Jew in, in need. Meanwhile, the boy was kind of, uh, just staying at home and, and wasn't able to receive a, a proper education. Finally, someone said, why don't you go to the Pnei Menachem? He has a really, really big heart and he helps everybody. And you have nothing to lose. So the Yid had tried it all. So you may as well try one more, one more person. So how, how shocked he was when he saw how the Rebbe took notes and gathered information. He seemed really to care. That alone made a world of difference to the man. The Rebbe said, return in a few days. Hopefully, I will have a positive answer for you. A few days passed, and the man returned to the Rebbe, who informed him, it's all been taken care of. Phone, phone this number. Tell him who you are. Your son has been accepted into the, into the, uh, into the issue. You know, it sounds surprising, but somehow sharing someone else's pain in a way is easier than sharing and participating in their, in their joy, in their simchas. Taking an interest, feeling someone's pain, often, I don't know, maybe it sort of smooths and, and, and soothes our own personal kind of, kind of guilt. Partaking in someone's simcha is much, much more demanding for some people. I just don't have the time or interest is, 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 is a line you often hear. It's an excuse why people don't go to simchas. The Pnei Menachem would often kind of uh, uh, encourage people to find it within, within themselves to truly Rejoice at someone else's, at someone else's simcha. And he based this on the words of his Alta Zayd, his great grandfather, the Chadushe Harim, who was the founder of Ger Hasidus, who wrote on the invitation to his grandson, the Svasemis' wedding invitation, the minig, the custom is in Kleisel, is to rejoice in the simcha and the joy of others in order to plant love and friendship in the hearts of one another, thereby accustoming oneself to truly rejoice in another's good good fortune. That's the the, the kiyom, that is the then the, the fulfillment of the mitzvah of the Ahafta Lurecha Love your fellow as yourself. Indeed, <coughs> when the Rebbe heard of a simcha, mamish, you could see the joy was throbbing in his heart and, and on his and on his on his face. The Pnei Menachem felt a a tremendous tremendous bond with all Yidden. Everyone was family. A Rebbe to tens of thousands of Hasidim. Right, values every minute of his time. So when he attended a simcha, he didn't stay very long. Right, but the time was there was quality time, making sure that those whose simcha it was would see that he felt a real connection 
with them, almost almost like a partnership in their in their in their simcha. In the brief time that he spent there, he made sure to leave an impression that would not be forgotten on the on the Bali on the Bali simcha. Because obviously he was a very, very busy man and yet tremendous, tremendous responsibilities, the Pnei Menachem would often not be invited to, to, uh, to Simchas. And, uh, you know, those close to him didn't want to impose upon him to, to attend. But he often surprised them when, when, when he came anyway, claiming that a good friend does not wait for, for an invitation. He would often share a powerful insight regarding the, the, the piece in the Gemara that talks about Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. Apparently, a person who was friends with Kamsa and enemies with Bar Kamsa made a feast and he sent his servant to invite Kamsa, his friend, to the dinner. And the servant we know invited the wrong person which led to the bitter revenge and, and, uh, and eventually the, 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 the Churban. The Pnei Menachem added that Kamtza was at fault. As a good friend of the host, he should not have waited for an invitation, but he should immediately have gone on his own, a move that would have prevented the entire debacle from happening. Friends neither wait nor require an invitation because it's not only the Simcha of the Bale Simcha, it's their Simcha as well. One one put himself to soul will be back in a moment with much, much more. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, soul to soul, back on your radio here, Erev Shabbos Kredish, Parshas, Pinchas, as we go through the first week of the three weeks. Let's talk about something quite interesting. There's the Mishnah in Pekiovis, we discussed it a bit last week, where it says the Talmidim, the students of Bilma Russia, they get as their inheritance Gehenim, and they go to the lowest place, and he brings a posuk to, to, prove, to prove that. Now, according to the simple explanation, that would mean that those who consider themselves the students of Bilam, they are called Anshe Domim Umirma, as the Pasik says, men of bloodshed and deceit. However, if you look there in, in the Bartanura on that Mishnah, he says the intention is that why is Bilam called Ish Domim, a man of bloodshed? Because, because of his advice, to entice the Jews to do terrible sins with the daughters of, of Midian, 24,000 Jews lost their life. And the Gemara in Sanhedrin says a similar thing. The Gemara there explains and the, the, the advice that Bilam gave to Balak to try to entrap the Jewish nation. And he said to him, the God of these people, of the Jews, hates immorality, and they, the Jews, love linen clothing, love clay pishtan. They love linen clothing. In other words, that some speciality about clothing made of linen, and we need to understand, why would Klaisel in the desert have such a desire, specifically for linen clothing, that that was what they were going to use to entice the Jews to do terrible, terrible averes. So the Mashal there explains, because in Mitzrayim, linen was very common. And all their garments in Mitzrayim were made out of, out of linen. And Kleisol got used to that. And now in the desert for the 40 years, they didn't have any linen clothing. And that, that was somehow, they were missing that. And when the, the Midianites, you know, kind of offered them clothing to, for sale, they jumped on it and, 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 and bought it. That's how the, that's how the Marsha, uh, uh, says it. Uh, Rabbi Leo Shik, who was one of the Talmidim 
of Rav Yitzhak Kachonen Spectre, he explains it based on a, a Zayra Kaddish. We know that Kayan, when he brought his sacrifice, so he brought something that grew on the ground, which we say was, was linen. And that was his offering to Hashem. Because Kayan, we know, says the Zaya, was affiliated with what's called the Sitra Achra, the other sides. And Pishtan is somehow associated also to, to that dark side. And therefore, Bilam also wanted to remove Klaiso from their, their status of Kedusha and to Chasrashalim make dwell on them this, this, uh, this Tuma, this Sitra Achra. And therefore, he specifically sold them these linen clothing. Now, you can understand what this is all, what this is all about. So there's a chidah in the Sefer Midbach where he says, what's Pishtan? He says, there's a special, special skula that if someone wears a linen clothing without anything else, so this is a, a, an amazing, amazing thing. And it's impossible in the olden days to have things like witchcraft. Someone who's wearing pure linen clothing, no witchcraft has any effect on him. And no mazikim, no forces can come and, uh, and, and, and damage him. Very fascinating idea. And, uh, and the, uh, in the Chesed Avram, he speaks about it at even length, and he adds on and says that Paro, through his tremendous chokhmah, that he was chokhmah, he had, he understood the tremendous, tremendous benefits of, of linen clothing, and therefore, he specifically wore only linen clothing, right, white linen clothing, and he kind of uh, boasted in front of his Chachamim and all his great people, and he said to them that, you know, I'm a god, and the, 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 the proof that I'm a god is that none of his wise men or none of his magicians were able to uh, uh, cause any kind of spell or do any kind of magic, no matter how much they, they tried. And they didn't know that uh, the reason for this was because he wore he wore these linen his linen clothing, and Yosef understood this also. But Yosef understood it through Ruach Hakodesh, and he knew that if someone wears uh, white linen clothing, so then Ayin Hara can't have any effect on him, and that and that's a bad any any kind of bad bad thing, not any, any kind of witchcraft. The principle is that if you wear those clothing, you're saved from any kind of negative spiritual thing, right? Except for, of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, because there's nothing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu cannot, cannot do. But however, you're not, one is not immune to any kind of physical danger. For instance, water or, or, or fire or cold or heat or, or stones or iron, all kinds of physical things that you're still subject to. And the proof of that is that there's no there's no one more in danger in the entire world than the Kain Gadol on Yom Kippur. Because he went in to the Kodesh HaKadoshim in the place where no other human being is allowed to go. Not only no human being, no malach is even allowed to go there. As, as, as Chazal say in the, in the, uh, in the Yashami. Post-exist. No one's allowed to be in the Olmoid. And, and the Gemara says, even, even malachim, even malachim, on whom it says, they look like the face of a human being. Even they're not allowed to, allowed to be there. Now, in order that the, the Kohen Gadol should be saved then from the jealousy of the 
of the malachim and their desire maybe to to accuse against him. That's why Hakadosh Baruch Hu commanded that all for all of the of all of the processes of Yom Kippur that the Kohen Gadol should go into the Kodesh HaKadoshim wearing just white linen clothing because those will protect him and uh, and uh, there the, the, it will become there the Katego will become Sanega it, it will defend him against any attempt to undermine him uh, spiritually and Yosef if you said understood this this uh, this secret and therefore uh, 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 Paro the great Russia that he was so worried when he saw Yosef wearing uh, 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 these these uh, these linen clothing so that's why he put a golden necklace around Yosef's neck in order that that should sort of break the the effectiveness of wearing the the linen the linen garments, and and uh, and and therefore, uh, Yosef he felt would still be would still be susceptible to all these his dirty magic magic uh, tricks. However, uh, Yosef wasn't worried even about the fact that he was wearing the the that necklace for a while because he wanted to show to Paro. He, he didn't want to reveal to Paro that he understood this this uh, secret. But as soon as he went, he went home. He took off that golden that golden uh, uh, necklace, and all of that was to hide from Paro the the fact that he knew this this great this great secret. Uh, brings further, he explains based on this that. This was all part of the hashkocha of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that Paro specifically dressed Yosef in linen clothing, right? That also no witchcraft should should take effect on him. But Yosef, of course, uh, who knew all the the the, the secrets, right? Uh, never took off those clothing. He always wore linen clothing. And that's why the 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 all the all the witchcraft, even of uh, of uh, of uh, Mrs. Uh, Apotifar, who tried every kind of spell, every kind of way to to vanquish him, uh, uh, he couldn't. And that makes Rashi actually says that Pishtan clothing was something very very important in uh, in uh, in the time because of all the witchcraft that existed. In uh, in in Mitzrayim. In fact, with this, they explain a Gemara in Moed Cotton. Gemara in Moed Cotton, Chavzayin says that originally uh, the burial of a dead person for the family was even more difficult than his death because there used to be this huge competition who could provide the most expensive and the most exquisite tachrichim for the mace to be buried in, and no one could afford it. So they used to just leave the mace there and run away. Until Rabbi Gamliel came along. And when Rabbi Gamliel died, he instructed that for his burial, they should bury him in simple linen clothing, which are, which are cheap. And from that time, everyone followed the, the, the way Rabbi Gamliel did it. And, and the obvious question is, why did Rabbi Gamliel Dafka want to be buried in in linen clothes. Why not something else? Which there are other materials that are also simple and not expensive. Why do you specifically want? Uh, uh, why do you specifically want um, linen? To explains there because Chazal bring uh, from the uh, a, a mice with the uh, Rabbi Leizer Migur Miza was one of the Balei uh, Taisvis. He says that there's a tremendous, tremendous side, there's a, a secret that goes with wearing linen clothing. That anyone who wears it is, is, is free from Ayin Hara and from any bad spirit and any kind of, any kind of witchcraft. 
on the condition that in those tachrichim there shouldn't be even one thread of something else. That's be one hundred percent linen, and then you'll have that that uh, that protection. And uh, they bring the zayar also on the pasuk. It says v'lova shakayin midai vad that the kain will wear his linen cloak. Right, that these are the special uh, garments for 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 to instill kedusha. Right, it's special linen, unique, just for the purpose of instilling the kainim with with kedusha. In other words, that and and what what it was was of course these linen clothing because the kain needs to be very very holy, as in fact it says the kedushte. You have to, he, he has, you have to sanctify him. He has to sanctify himself. He's the one that brings the carbonus for you. And therefore, he has to be in a tremendous state of, of, uh, of, of Kedusha. And because he's in such a high level of Kedusha, there's a tremendous, tremendous fear that those forces of evil that would try to go against Kedusha, the Satan and all of his, his, uh, his friends and Ainhara, and the Sitra Akra and that whole, that whole team there, who are all jealous of his Kedusha, and therefore they might try to harm him, and therefore again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded to Dafka make these linen clothing for the Kainim who are going to serve in the, in the, in the base of Mikdash, and that would save them from all the jealousy of, of the, of the, uh, other forces. For the same reason, that's why, we we bury bury people today in linen clothing. Since from the time of when a person passes away, so uh, that that uh, death, the removal of the of the pure neshama from the impure impure gulf raises uh, trem- does tremendous tremendous things because the neshama when it's no longer uh, restrained by the body is able to achieve much, 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 much more. And obviously, each person according to what he what he was. And 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 uh, a tzaddik, a neshama can accomplish even more than uh, than at that moment than he accomplished even in his whole in his whole uh, his whole lifetime. And again, therefore, all the external forces are. Are, uh, are jealous because since by, by, by the aliyah that he gets at the time of, of death, he, he negates their power and their influence. So they're a bit miffed. Uh, the noses are, are out of, are out of a joint and therefore they want to sort of, uh, uh damage him. So therefore, Rabbi Gamliel instituted that we should wear big day pishtan again. To save, be saved from them, and that none of these forces can do anything to to us, and that why it, that's why the minig is still today to to uh, dress Mason in plain linen clothing. And if that was if Gamliel, the great Tamuchachem, uh, did that, so certainly uh, uh, the rest of <coughs> us uh, simple people that uh, certainly. We, we need the protection, and therefore that is the standing, that is the standing, uh, 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 Now, the, the, the Benish Chai, in his Sefer, Ben Yoyada, he brings in the name Litzlach, that the reason why we put a mace in linen clothing is because so, uh, so long as the, the physical body Still exists, so we know that the 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 neshama cannot totally separate from it until the the all the flesh of the body is 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 consumed totally, and only then can the neshama go up totally to its place. And therefore, we want him to wear specifically linen clothing because these uh, uh, these clothing themselves. Uh, rot very quickly in, in the ground, and therefore they allow that process to happen 
as quickly as uh, as 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 possible. Sorry to be a little bit morbid, but it's it's quite it's quite actually uh, uh, fascinating. So now we come back, and now we can understand why Bilam specifically wanted the Yidden to buy linen clothing, right? Since the the daughters of the uh, of, of Mayav, right, was at really at the end of the forty years after Kleisel's exodus from from uh, from Mitzrayim, so it comes out that up until this point, Kleisel. How were Kaisal protected? They were protected by the Anani Hakovit, which guarded them from all kinds of physical things and all kinds of spiritual spiritual dangers. But now that they're about to go into Eretz Yisrael, and now the Anani Hakovit are, you know, are going to leave as soon as Moshe Rabbeinu died for sure. The Anani Hakovit left already, so now they need the protection. Of, of, uh, of, uh, of big day, of big day Pishtun. And therefore, they would, they would go crazy to buy it. Clients actually understood the value of big day Pishtun as a means of, of, uh, of, of protecting themselves. And, uh, and therefore, that's why they, they, uh, specifically enticed the Yidden by selling them these, these kind of, these kind of clothing. It's an interesting thing. We, we don't always understand that in, 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 in Jewish practice, every single thing has a, has a reason. Nothing is ever done. Stop. We, we, you know, we kind of, uh, get sometimes the wrong end of the stick and just get the tradition. This is what we do. This is what, how it is. And without necessarily ever kind of really grasping what's, what's, uh, what's behind it. But everything has, has, has deep reasons, has, has deep meanings, and in order to really fully appreciate halacha, you see, because if we don't get the, to the stuff behind why we do things, then it becomes rather dry. It becomes just like a manual, do this, don't do that. The moment we begin to explore and, and know a little bit about why we do the things that we do, it opens up vistas of, of wonderful interest and, and wonderful depth that we really, really can, can feast on and get so much, so much insight uh, about. We'll be back with our, our Hilch Shabbos, uh, segment in a moment. This is 101.9 Chai FM and this is Soul to Soul. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, welcome back to our show, and thank you for spending some time with us, as we always do at this point in the show, to just give you the important times that you need for this coming Shabbos. So let's start from the beginning. The earliest time for benching lich, for lighting your candles uh, this afternoon, will be 22 minutes past 4 o'clock, 4.22. You can already begin your Shabbos, especially now if we're in lockdown and there's no shul to go to, no nothing stopping you from lighting up early, doing your Kabbalah Shabbos, singing and then sit down to 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 a meal. If you're not that kind of organized, well then the latest time for benching the Shabbos is ten minutes past five. Five ten is the absolute latest to get them up. Shtia. Sunset is at 5.28. That's your injury time in case of real, real emergency. But certainly try to get everything done and ready and candles lit and Shabbos started by 10 past, 10 past 5. Therefore, if you would uh, like to be able to daven Mayrev and not have to repeat the, the Shema again, so you have to wait till 5.46. 5.46 is then proper night. And you can daven Mariv and not need to worry about repeating the Krishna later. Tomorrow morning we will lay in Pasha's Pinchas, quite a long Pasha, uh, a lot of numbers at the beginning, and then all the Karbanas of the various Chagim at the, at the end. Uh, the Aftarah for this week is not the Aftarah of that's printed in the Chumashim for Pasha's Pinchas. It will be the Aftarah Printed in the Chumashim for 
Parshas Matais, the next Pasha, which is in fact the first Haftarah of the three weeks. We know there are three special Haftarahs that we read during the, during the three, three weeks. This one is Vayhi Devar Hashem, beginning of the book of Yirmiyo, chapter one plus a couple of Psukim, is the Haftarah for this, for this week. This Shabbos is also Shabbos Mavarchem, Shabbos Mavarchem Chodesh Av, which comes with a semi-sweet uh, uh, flavor, because obviously uh, Rosh Chodesh will be Bezda Hashem next Shabbos Chodesh, uh, Shabbos Chodesh Pashas Matas Masse, uh, and that will of course usher in the beginning of the nine-day, more intense morning period leading up to Tishbav, which is Two weeks from Mitzvah Shabbos will be, will be Tishbav, Mitzvah Shabbos and, and Sunday. Um, so Shabbos of Rakham, as I said, Rosh Chodesh Av is on Shabbos, Shabbos alone. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that, that we do. And we do say, we will say, uh, the, the, uh, Avrachamim, because it is during the three weeks, even though it's Shabbos of Rakham, we will say, Avarachamim. Um, we, Pirkei we go back to the beginning. We finished last week, so we're going to start again. Perik Aleph this, this week. And Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at two minutes past six, six oh two. Slowly already, it's, it's creeping off. We've already gained already six minutes from the earliest, earliest Shabbos. Before we know it, we'll be in the middle of, of summer. So some of you might be applauding that that uh, that that situation okay so we're talking now about the timing for shabbos beginning shabbos ending we know of course that in all torah matters all halachic situations we always say that a jewish day begins at night and the night goes before the day and in fact and that comes from the very very beginning of the torah where it says, Vayhi Erev, Vayhi Vayker Yom Echad. It was evening, it was day of the first day. In other words, that the, the, the 24 hour period that we call a day in Halacha begins not from midnight as it's in the rest of the world, but begins from the, when it gets dark, when the sun is completely gone, when it gets dark, that is the beginning of, of a day. And therefore, as regards the time for, for Shabbos, so the Yom Hashvi, the seventh day, which is Shabbos, begins on Friday, Friday night. Right? Now, in, in, in terms of the way a Jew thinks, this is a, uh, an amazing, amazing uh, idea. Because it's always the, the darkness and the night that come before the day and the and the light. First, we have all the questions. We have all the all the doubt. We have all the the the, the you know the giyush sometimes even the the resignation. How are things going to going to work out? And, and a person finds himself in a situation of of real darkness and anxiety and uncertainty and not knowing what's what's going to happen. And as time goes, so then he finally sees the answers to all his questions, and the light shines on him. That's always the way it is in our lives. We, Kadosh sends us an assignment, and sends us a problem, be in whatever area of our life it might be, might be with health, might be with Parnassa, might be with children, all sorts of things, and we don't know how are we going to get by. And we turn to Hashem, and it's, it seems impossible, and then somehow it, it resolves, it resolves its, it, uh, it, it, itself. And that's the way it's been throughout our entire history. First we were slaves to, to Paro in, in Ritzheim, and, uh, because of that we went out, we became free, we got, we got the Torah, we went to Eretz, Eretz Israel, and that's how it always is. First, darkness, and, and, and Saras, and afterwards, light, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, regen- and uh, redemption. Uh, at first, we have to 
deal with all of the problems, all of the challenges, and by dealing with them, our level is is raised, and we reach a level of of shleimus of of uh, of our perfection. By the by the rest of the world, so there the day comes before the night, and therefore one nation after another, you know, sort of rises up and stands on the stage of of history with big noise and and big uh, trumpets and 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 they're they're you know they're the flavor of the day and they're ruling the 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 world. They make huge huge noise, turn the world over, and then the problems begin to to arise. All kinds of difficulties face them, and now the light the the light is going and the and the darkness is coming, and the the sun of that nation sets and it comes dark and they're gone. And that's that's why it was with the Babylonians, that's why it was with the Persians, that's why it was with the Greeks, that's why it was with the with the Romans, right? The the, the, the secret of the eternity of the Jewish nation is connected to the fact that night always comes before before day. Okay, let's talk practically. So if we say that night always comes before day. Therefore, the seventh day, the Shabbos, begins with the beginning of the night. However, our Archachomim had a major uh, uh, controversy and a, and a big doubt. What is exactly defined as the beginning of night? Is it the time when the sun sets? And we can no longer see it. It's hidden from you, from view. Or maybe where it's the time where it gets completely, completely dark and three, uh, uh, stars of average size are visible in the sky. Right? Or to put it in other words, do our day and night, uh, defined by the sun or by light? That's, that remains the question. Now, that can be a very, very major question because in many countries there's quite a time differential between the time where the sun sets and the time where the sun, where the, where the stars are visible in, in the sky. And, and the further north you go in the world, the longer that, that gap is actually is. And of course, it's not even a constant time. It, it, it fluctuates and changes based on the, the seasons and the, the altitudes, uh, of, of the place where you're looking at it from, from, uh, from sea level. So this is in fact our dilemma. How in fact do we view night? What is night? And that has ramifications, of course, in determining when Shabbos is going to begin. Because once we know where night is, we can say, this time is is Shabbos. So how are we going to resolve it? Well, you're going to have to come back after the break, and we'll start to unravel it for us in a few minutes that we have left. This is 11.9 High FM on the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, salt is salt, back on the radio here on Air Shabbos Kodesh Parshas. Pinchos, as we wrap up our show, we're talking about the controversy of what is night. Does night mean that the sun has disappeared, and therefore as soon as the sun is gone over the horizon, that would be night? Or do we say no? Night implies it has to be dark. And and as you said, there's huge ramifications in terms of, let's say, when Shabbos is going to start and end. So there are many, many factors. And of course, one of the factors that's most relevant in, in Yiddishkeit is that not every question has one decisive answer. And sometimes that there's even room for doubt. We don't really know what is considered night. Could it be sunset? Could it be actual night? And therefore, this halacha is an example. We actually are in a quandary as to what to do. So what do we do, practically speaking? 
So we have to say that the time between sunset and night, which is this quagmire of, of a time that we don't know, is this actually night? Because the night actually began when the sun set, or is this still day? And the night only begins when it actually gets dark. So that entire time period between sunset and the stars, three medium stars being seen in the sky is called a time that is Suffolk Yom Suffolk Lila. We don't know. Is this time actually still part of the previous day? Or is this already time for, of the next, of the next night? And in, in, uh, in Alaka terms, it's called Ben Hashmashes. Practically speaking, whenever we're dealing with any kind of a mitzvah that has implications from the Torah, that it might actually be a, a, a divinely ordained, a Torah ordained mitzvah, so then, uh, and, and certainly that would include the mitzvah of Shabbos, which certainly the fulfillment of Shabbos is a, is a biblical edict. So therefore, when we have a doubt regarding a matter which is of possible biblical implication, the rule of thumb is that when there's a doubt regarding a Torah law, we always have to be strict. And therefore, we say that Shabbos comes in and it is fully and completely Shabbos at sunset. And because we have to be strict on both ends, when does Shabbos end? Shabbos is going to end at the time we know without a doubt is night, which will be at, at, at nightfall. So the time between Shkia and nightfall on Friday is part of Shabbos, because maybe it is already night, and the part of between Shkia and nightfall on, on Shabbos on Saturday is also part of Shabbos, because maybe it's its day. That's the only way we can resolve this, this problem. We're going to resolve many more problems, but it's going to have to happen in next in the next year. Now it's time for us to take our leave from all of you, and to wish you all a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos together, warm, inspired Shabbos, obviously, with just your immediate family. We're not socializing, we're not seeing friends, it's just too, too dangerous. Just stay warm, stay safe, don't do anything that doesn't make sense, and to each and every one of our radio family, a beautiful, beautiful good Shabbos.